Hey, well, welcome whenever you're watching this. My name's Aiden, one of the pastors here at the Norton Campus. Glad that you're joining us in this way. If you're someone who kind of tunes in regularly, I would love to hear from you. Shoot us an email. Um, we would love to connect with you in that way. As we jump in today, we want you to hear a powerful story from uh, one of our own uh, family members, uh, Jake Hall, and kind of the story that God has kind of led him on. We just want to share his story this morning as we jump in. Go ahead and check this out. So I'm sitting here with Jake Hall. Uh, so glad to be able to sit and kind of talk and share uh, your story. You've been here at Grace Church how long, Jake? Um, I've been going here about four years. Four years. About four years. Yeah. yeah. And married for how long? Over a year now. So, Over a year now. So here at Grace, you serve on our safety team. We, yes. We appreciate that. We, <laughs> we all feel safe uh, when you're serving. Yeah. It, it was kind of cool to go into that because I had, I had served out, out at New Destiny, my job. Um, before I became a counselor, I was security out there. So I kind of did a similar job. So okay. it was kind of, it was easy to go into, but it was different because I had to have a different demeanor. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> and what was that different demeanor? Uh, I had to be a little bit more uh, PG. <laughs> we'll say that. I love it. A little more calm. I love it. That job <clears throat> for you is more than a job though, isn't it? It absolutely is. Because um, I, I, I struggled myself with addiction for over a decade and um that place new destiny and, and jesus were ultimately the things that saved my life wow tell us a little bit about that journey Jake. so i uh i was i've been in, i was in addiction for probably 15 years hmm. um heroin meth alcohol like i i did it all but heroin was my main vice hmm. and uh you know i used that because I went through a lot of trauma when I was a kid. Oh. I had uh, I lost my mother at three. Um, saw her die in a house fire. Wow. I was sexually assaulted when I was a little bit older wow. by a neighborhood kid. Wow. And uh, that all that all played into a role that I never felt safe and I never felt loved and I never felt anything. Wow. And so in turn, I turned to heroin later on in life and oh. pills to try to numb all that because it was the only time I didn't have to deal with something. For years and years I did that and then finally it started catching up with me and I overdosed 25 times. Mm. Um, and, and in all that time, right, so like I believed in God, hmm. but I hated him Wow, for my circumstances. So it's not like you blame God for some yeah. of what you were facing, yeah? Yeah. And it was because I think partly that I didn't really know his character and who he was. Mm. I had heard about him. I remember like through all my overdoses and through everything, you know, I asked God, I was like, I just want this to end. Oh. And I prayed that for years. Wow. And it wasn't until like three years into my sobriety that I was talking with a friend and uh, she was like, man, who would ever thought that like the prayers that we were asking would come to fruition now? Huh. And I didn't realize that all those prayers I was saying, like, Lord, I want this to end, but I want it to end my way because I didn't want to live. Wow. But in turn, he answered it. He was like, okay, I'm going to kill a part of you and I'm going to bring you back. Wow. And from that, like, my whole idea of God, you know, just drastically changed when I finally got clean. Wow. Well, tell us a little bit about the process of getting clean and recovery. How did that all happen? The, the the real end time was I was in a hotel room, been up for like 13 days, 
obviously I was in some a, a partial psychosis, but there was some like validity to one of the things that I had heard. So I, you know, I was I was hearing these two voices and these two like things that were pulling me opposite ways, and uh, one said to do something drastic and evil hmm. to the people I was with, and then another voice like it was, it wasn't harsh. It wasn't uh, like evil. It was calming. Mm. And it was peaceful and it said, run. Mm. And so I ran. All of a sudden, here comes a sheriff's officer. Comes and asks me my name. And I give him a fake name, fake birthday, fake social, all that. And I'm, I'm, I'm starting to choose the path that I'm about to choose. Mm. And then out of nowhere, something hits me. And it was like submission. And I, I pulled all the, the dope that I had on me and the rigs that I had on me and I pulled them out of my pocket. I'm like, this is my name. I was like, here you go. I was like, I'm done. And he arrested me. I should be going back to prison. No question, no, do not pass go. You're going back. The charges get dropped to a lower charge. And then all of a sudden the charges I had in another county get combined and dropped. And then I get moved to another jail. All the doors kept closing except for one. And it led me back to New Destiny. And my life started changing. Changing so much for the better. And I started really seeking God and really knowing who He is mm. and who He wants me to be. Mm. And in doing that, I made a decision to uh, give my life over one night. And I was sitting praying and I fell asleep doing it and I woke up and I was like man I gotta get baptized and it was something that just urged in me and I did that I remember coming up out of that pool so light hmm. and struck with this this peace and this and this love that I was always searching for in my heart that I finally had what would you say to people that might be watching this that maybe have never struggled with addiction and it becomes easy to maybe stereotypically say things about those who are I would say um, it's it's easy to pass judgment mm -hmm. um, but it's harder to show compassion but what's the best thing that you could do is show a, an unconditional love that that even Jesus did he loved the people that were broken and he came for all of them. And so when we when we pass judgment on those people that we feel are broken, we fail to realize the brokenness that's still in us. Hmm. Do you have a particular story of Jesus that's your favorite? John, when he's talking to Peter at the end after he denied him, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Wow. Peter, do you love me? Go and feed my flock. Mm. Peter, do you love me? Surely I love you, Jesus. Mm. Feed my sheep. And that always, it just, mm. the love of Jesus knows no bounds. Mm. No bounds. And if you come to him, man, you're not leaving the same. Fascinating to see how he has rescued, saved for a purpose. He didn't just save you from your sin. Right. Saved you for a purpose, and I just love, love hearing how God's using you. You know, the, the thing is, we may not see it, but, but the seeds are being sown. Like, you, you say it a lot. We don't, we don't get to see the fruits that bloom sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
but we know we sowed the seed. So thankful for Jake's story and him just being willing to share uh, that story with us. Hope you are encouraged and challenged and even helps you to look in and see what is the story that God is writing in my own life uh, today. I love some of the things that he said. I think it plays uh, so closely into what we've been talking about. This summer, we've been going through uh, the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. We've been going through what this is, and what happens in Galatians 5 is Paul, who writes it, he kind of contrasts uh, the acts of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, that if we live a life according to our flesh and our desires and what we want and our appetites, it'll lead us down a certain road. And you kind of contrast that with as we abide in Jesus, make our home in Jesus, look at the nature and the character of God, as we as we kind of find ourselves in that, that there's fruit, there's a way of life that the Spirit produces in us. And so what we're, what we're doing is we're not having a series of TED Talks or seminars about how to be more loving and peaceful and patient and good. But what we want to do is take a look at what is, how do we see these attributes of the fruit of the Spirit manifesting themselves first and foremost in the character of God. And as we walk with God, as we make our home in His grace, as we commune with God, as we, as we kind of have reliant prayer in Jesus, how, how does the, the Spirit bear this fruit out in our lives? Not for our own sake so we can be good people, but for the sake of others, that He bears fruit in our lives for the good of others. In Psalm 1, the Psalms, if you're familiar, if you open your Bible right in the middle, you'll hit the Psalms. The Psalms are this 150 chapter prayer book where we see all kinds of human emotion uh, played out, written by mostly King David, but different people. The Psalms are beautiful, but the first Psalm that kind of sets the tone for all the Psalms uh, says this. It says, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And who doesn't just know it, who doesn't just you know, try to do it, but who meditates on his law day and night. For, for us to be, blessed is the one whose delight is in the teachings of Jesus, the work of Christ, in the scriptures, in the life of Jesus, and who meditates, who lets it become who they are day and night. It says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield fruit in its season. And today, Jesus, that's our prayers, that we would be men and women who plant our roots by your stream, and that we would be filled with your, your peace, your patience, your goodness, your love, your, your faithfulness towards us, your kindness towards us, and that in turn, your spirit might produce this in our lives. Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for your grace in all things. Amen. As we've been going through the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5 says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Your Bible may say forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For our time uh, today, for a couple minutes, what we want to look at as we, as we kind of plant our roots by the stream. As we just, as Psalm 1 says, as we plant our roots by the streams of Jesus that in due season that he might produce fruit in our lives. And today we want to look at the fruit of patience. And whether this is an easy answer or not, in my experience as a pastor, 90% of the time, if I ever ask somebody, what's, what's the Lord teaching you? What's kind of going on in your life? Most people, most people will say, the Lord's just teaching me patience. The Lord's teaching me patience. That's what he's working out in my life. And I don't know if it's an easy answer, but... I suppose it's appropriate because there aren't many of us that would say, I, I'm good in the patience department, right? They're, they're, all of us in one way or another, that patience feels to be such a, such a, a prime 
top layer fruit that needs produced in our lives. I was driving with my boy Camden. He's four years old. And we were driving. And I'm like you, you know, I'm a parent. I want this kid to understand Jesus and try to figure out how to teach it to him, how to make sense to him. And we're driving and he's just looking out the window in the back seat. And he just says, God created everything. And I'm like, all on his own. I'm like, yeah, he did. And I'm a pastor. And so I start, you know, I take it too far and I start going, he did, buddy. And you know, in Genesis, he created us in his image that we would bear the image of God. And so we were sitting there and he cuts me off. Very out of character, he cuts me off and goes, boring. <laughs> like right in the middle of me trying to give him a theological diatribe on how we're created in the image of God. He's boring, right? He's impatient. He didn't want the whole thing. And I think he gets this from his mother. I'm kidding. Outside from him being a human, his dad's a lot like that. His, his dad's pretty impatient, right? Recently, there was, you know, I'm tired a lot. I could be irritable a lot, a little grumpy. For years, my, my wife and my mom, you know, the, the medical team in my life, has been like, you need to get these levels checked on some certain things. So I go to the doctor. I'm like, I need to get these levels checked. He's like, I think you're fine. I'm like, listen, man, just do this for me so I can tell them. All right. There's a piece of me. I'm like, man, I hope these levels are off. That explain why I'm grumpy and tired and irritable sometimes. Got the test back. I'm fine. I'm just a dad. I'm just a grumpy dad. That's kind of what his diagnosis was. But if you, if you think about the, the idea of, of impatience, in our, in our culture, in our country, I was, I was looking at these stats, and we all know that stats are, whether they're true or not, whatever. But I, I saw this question on this, this one study. It said, which situations do Americans find most frustrating, most impatient? When do we become most impatient? 57% of the respondents, they said slow traffic. You know, 50, Another 57% of the respondents said slow internet. I can get down with that. 50% said being on hold on the phone. There's another, another study that said survey shows average person grows frustrated after waiting 16 seconds for a web page to load. 16 seconds for a web page to load or 25 seconds for a traffic signal to change. I'll be honest with you, 16 seconds is a long time to wait for a web page to load. I'm not sure that I would be able to make it. But people in Britain are a little bit better. The study of 2,000 uh, British folks said respondents reported losing their temper after just 20 seconds of waiting for ink to dry on a greeting card. Additionally, it only takes 22 seconds, now we were 16 seconds, 22 seconds for people to start cursing their computers or TVs if a show or movie doesn't immediately start streaming correctly. You, you, you know it's true about you. Said surveyed Brits also reported losing their cool after just 18 seconds of searching for a pen, right? That we all, if we're honest with ourselves, we can all be impatient in one way or another. It shows up a lot of different ways in our lives, right? But patience is hard. But as we talk about this as a fruit of the Spirit, what, why does God call us to be patient? Why does God call us to be patient? It's easy, right? Because patience is a, a virtue right? And we will be better, more functional, nice people if we would just be patient while the internet loads slowly. I don't think that's it. I think it's so much more profound, so much deeper than just being patient when things are annoying in our lives. The a Pastor Matt Chandler said it, and I think I could say it better than him. He said, God cares about patience because persevering faith and gladness in God requires it. He, he calls us to be patient because persevering faith, a deep faith 
and gladness in God, finding joy in Christ, requires us to be patient. That patience is one of the more practical realities, one of the more almost sensitive tests that'll diagnose the state of our faith. And so as we jump into this, as I was studying this week, a lot of commentators said that this, this word that we have for patience, it's the Greek word macrothumia. Eh, you can, I don't know how you pronounce it, but this word for patience, that it kind of has a couple different meanings in the Greek. For, for one, one of the ways that this, this word kind of plays out is this idea of forbearance, almost this idea of patience with people. Christopher Wright, he's an author, he says, it's the ability to put up with weakness and foibles in others and to show patience towards them without getting quickly irritated or angry or want to fight back. <laughs> he says this old, this old quip in his book, he says, to dwell above with the saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know. Now that's a different story. Right? For many of us, we know this is forbearance. This patience with people can be tough because whether it's the people you're friends with, your family, whether it's your group, whether it's your church, people are tough. People are tough, right? And patience with people can be hard, especially as you look back on the last three, five, six, seven, nine, ten years. It feels like there's a lot of situations that in one way or another, all of us have kind of lost our minds a little bit, right? And patience with people can be hard and we can joke about it, but if we're honest, there may be some hard relationships in your life. People that just know how to push your buttons, relationships that just never quite feel like they click, neighbors, maybe it's your children, your spouse, that patience with people oftentimes can feel impossible, right? Forbearance, patience with people, but there's also, also this idea of long suffering, patience in our circumstances. Wright says this is the ability to endure for a long time whatever opposition or suffering may come our way and to show perseverance without wanting retaliation or revenge. For honest, some, some of you today, you are, you are in it. And there is just no end in sight. Maybe you've been dealt a card that you didn't plan for, you didn't expect, that you didn't want, and now you have to navigate some reality day to day. And I, I just want to acknowledge the pain in waiting today. Yeah, we don't like it when the internet loads slow and you got to wait in line or when something breaks in your car. Like all, all that stuff, very real. But for some of you, there's a medical journey you're on. There's a relational pain in your life. Maybe there's a holy and righteous desire within you that is just not coming to fruition. Maybe you are in a journey that was caused by your own sin and you are kind of coming back to wholeness and it is not an overnight thing. It is a journey that may take decades to rebuild and gain trust. Fill in your blank. But for many of you today, I know this isn't about just waiting in long lines, but this is something so near and dear to your heart that you are feeling pain for as you wait day in, day out. For many of us, the hardest place in life is where people and circumstances come together. It's this space in the middle where many of us find ourselves. And when we talk about patience, you're like, yeah, yeah, right here. That's where I need this to show up. And for the sake of today, instead of just giving you some tips on how to be patient, what I simply want to do is get a glimpse of God's timeline today that we might kind of recalibrate our hearts and minds around the grace of Jesus. And that by, as Psalm 1 says, by meditating on his truth, by planting our roots by his stream, 
he might produce the fruit of patience in our lives that our willpower will not accomplish. I want to just briefly take a look at God's patient plot line. God's patient plot line. It's a tongue twister. A pastor named Scott Hubbard says this. He says, The God we meet in scripture is a relentlessly patient God. He usually accomplishes his plans along the winding path. He fulfills his promises without haste. And he compares his kingdom to a mustard seed. That's the way our God operates, right? But our our expectations of God, our timeline of, of how he should work are so formed by the reality and the culture and the moment that we live in. I don't want to belabor this, you get it, but microwaves, iPhones, Amazon Prime, all we live in an immediate world. And it's nice in a lot of ways, but it shapes our expectations. It shapes our timelines. It shapes the way in which we want resolution and answers, right? It forms us. Everything in our world forms us. And this isn't just the benign fact, but it shapes the way that we interact with God, right? And what we want to, what we have to do is we talk about patience. Is we so often like, God, come on, come on, Lord. Get on our timeline, right? Come on, get your shoes, get your jacket. Let's go, God. That, that we, we want him to calibrate to our expectations. But what we must do is we navigate the reality of life. And if we want the spirit to produce the fruit of patience in our life, we have to recalibrate our hearts and minds based on his patience. One of my favorite pastors, authors, Eugene Peterson, says, We cannot apply time management techniques to the development of our souls. I love that. And as we look at God's timeline, I... It's just interesting the way in which God operates. The entire Bible, that the, the timeline in which the Bible was written was over 1,500 years that the Bible was, was written. You look at the storyline of the Bible, God begins his redemptive plan not by showing up, gathering a bunch of people and saying, you guys, he finds a person. He finds a guy. And he develops this family for hundreds of years. And eventually they go into captivity. Like early on in their story, they're captive for hundreds of years. Like, well, that's not the most efficient way to do this, Lord, right? And then they finally get let out. They wander around for 40 years. And then all through the Old Testament, there's prophecies for thousands of years of this coming Messiah, this coming Savior is going to turn this all around. And then towards the end of the Old Testament, there's 400, 400 years of just radio silence from God. And then eventually God shows up. He shows up as a baby. And this baby, for 30 years, slowly ages until he becomes Jesus. Well, full-grown Jesus, at least. Becomes the Messiah. Jesus is healing people. Bringing the kingdom. Flipping tables. Raising the dead. And eventually he would die on the cross. He would raise again. He's like, I'm God. I proved it. And he ascends back to the Father. And he says, keep at it, guys. I'm going to be back. You're not going to know when, but I'll be back. And here we are, a couple thousand years later, waiting for the return of Jesus. That God's entire story is centered on waiting. But all through his story, we see his patience played out. In his forgiveness. In his forbearance. In his second chances. And in his grace. We, we looked at this a couple months ago. We were going through God is. We looked at the character and the nature of God in Exodus 34 and how God describes himself. And we see that he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger. Slow to anger. He's patient. It's part of the character, the nature of who God is. He's a patient God. He's patient with his people in this whole timeline of scripture. 
Like God, we sometimes we think if God just showed up, if He just showed up physically, we'd answer all of our questions, we'd be good. But what we see in the story of God is His relationship with people. God shows up time and time again in a number of different ways, leads His people by by a by a cloud of smoke, by a pillar of fire, and His people they constantly turn to other gods, they constantly complain. That if you, if you read through even the history of the kings, like most of the kings, the overwhelming percentage of the kings, they just did their own thing. And then you get to the church. And the church, if you look at the last couple thousand years of the church, we do the same thing. We're no different. That we, we get in bed with the nation. We try and do things ourselves. Sometimes we use violence. We use things that aren't of Christ's kingdom to try to accomplish Christ's kingdom. And all the while, Jesus is patient with us. You know this is true in your own life. How many times do you, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't know why I did this again. I promised I wouldn't. Now here I am again, Lord, and it feels like it's been a long amount of time and I'm in the same place that he's patient with his people. Look what Paul writes in, in 1 Timothy. He says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's who he came for. And Paul says, Of who I am the foremost, Paul's guy wrote a lot in the New Testament. He says, I'm the foremost sinner, right? Kind of humbles you a little bit. Look what he says. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as foremost, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example. That as we rebel, as we turn to other things, as we complain, that Jesus displays his mercy through his perfect patience in his relationship to us with sinners. God is patient with his people. And God's patience is demonstrated through his grace. You know it's true in your own life because you know that you're, you're not what you ought to be. That if you're honest about your faith journey, you're like, I thought I'd be farther along than I am, but God is patient and he is still working in you. That he's patient with his people but the, the, the scandal of the kingdom of Jesus, what Jesus taught, what we see all through the scriptures is that God is patient with his enemies. And we, we struggle with this, right? Sometimes you read the Old Testament, you read stories, you're like, what is up, right? It doesn't feel like God's patient. One of, the, one of the things I love is in Genesis 15, God is making this ultimate promise with Abraham. Abraham is the one who would be the father of the people of Israel. That would be the father of our faith, essentially. He's making this ultimate promise with Abraham that he is going to bless all people through him and that through this line of Abraham, that Jesus would come and be the savior of all the nations. Like this is the promise, Genesis 15. And God is making this covenant with Abraham, this kind of two-sided promise. But what he does is he puts Abraham to sleep, makes this promise with himself so that that the success would come from, from him, but even the payment if this contract, this covenant was broken, that God himself would take the consequence, which we see on the cross. Long story short, as part of this promise, he kind of is telling Abraham their next timeline on what's going to happen. And he says in Genesis 15, he says, In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. That may not mean much to us, but as you read the storyline of the Bible, there's some, there's some passages around Joshua that can make us unsettled. We see God's people coming into the promised land and taking over. But what we don't always see, what we aren't always aware of, is that God gave them opportunities for 400 years. 
For 400 years, God was patient with his enemies because the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. If we went back 400 years, it'd be 1623. And if he's like, listen, the people of America in 2023, they're going to tick me off, but I'm going to give them 400 years. God is a patient God. He's patient towards his people and he's patient towards his enemies. He promises justice. He promises justice to Abraham, but he's going to give his enemies 400 years to get their act together. This can be hard because if you look around, you see pain and evil and suffering in the world. And it can cause us to say the same thing that the psalmist says, How long, O Lord, we allow these things? We struggle with God's timing because we can fail to see in ourselves that we were his enemies. While we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. And oftentimes we still do act like his enemies in opposition to his kingdom. And we contribute to the problems. And if God is going to solve the evil in the world problem, he has to solve the people in the world problem. In one day he will. This is the day of the Lord where God will set all things right All of the longings for justice, all the longings in our souls, that the Lord will set it right. He will come, make all things new, deal with wickedness, rebellion, and sin, the day of the Lord. It's good news for those who are in Christ. It's good news because our identity is hidden in Christ. But for those that that continue to perpetuate evil into the world, that haven't been given new life, haven't accepted the free invitation of grace, Jesus will make all things new. But look at what Peter says. In light of the day of the Lord, in 2 Peter, Peter writes, Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. It's God's timeline. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance, to change their mind about God. That God is patient. That God's pace, sometimes you may look at the world, look at your own life. God's pace is not a sign of his indifference, but it's his patience and it's a product of his love for us. And it leads us to our our patient hope. Listen, today we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And I, I, we, we need to get recalibrate our hearts and minds to God's timeline. That we are so formed by our culture's timeline and expectations and speed and we have to reformat our hearts and minds to God's timeline. And I know that that's something that you're like, all right, in theory, kind of this slow undercurrent, I want to figure that out. But Aiden, I, I, right now, I'm going through it. Aiden, right now, like this is, this is not going easy. Right now, I'm in pain. I just want an answer. Just want God to show up. Give me something. Where do I go? And so today I want to look at our patient hope. Because while I do believe we need to recalibrate our hearts to God's timeline and his grace for us, see his grace and patience towards his people, towards his enemies, see how God's patience plays out. I want to look at what that means for us right now. Look at what James says. Many of you have heard this passage in James 1. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Psalm 1 may say that you may bear fruit in season. 
I just want to give you a simple picture and ask you a few questions and we're going to close. But I want you to almost think of this in layers. Kind of like Donkey and Shrek. And Shrek. Cake has layers. Onions have layers. I think our patience has layers to it. I just want you to think about this today as we kind of close. Figure this, this first level. This is where maybe usually where we think is just this daily patience. My patience in, with frustrating people, I'm in traffic, as I'm interacting with my kids, as I'm interacting at work, as I am living my life with Jesus, and I want to represent Christ. I want to bear the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want to be patient with people. I don't want to snap at people. I don't want to yell at my kids. I don't want to hit the table when I'm frustrated. I don't want to say things that I regret because I got impatience. Daily patience, Lord. My boss, my kids. These are our present realities, kind of our immediate circumstances. God wants to develop this patience in us as we look to his grace, as we look to his patience for us. Ah, is that not our prayer, Lord? Make us, make us just patient people. Make us patient people that we might reflect your grace to people. But, but I think as we look at God's timeline, as we look at, at the hope of the day of the Lord, I think there's a level deeper he wants us to go, and that's this idea of endurance, of perseverance that James was talking about. That we see this, we, if, you, if you put your glasses on, you read through the New Testament, you will time and time again see Paul is constantly writing about endurance, perseverance, not giving up hope, holding on, keeping the faith. You see this all through the New Testament, because if you have fallen Jesus for any amount of time, it's hard. You get saved at camp and you give your life to Christ and everybody claps for you. You get baptized. Woo, this is awesome. You change some things in your life. But we get bored. We get tired. And you give this thing 5, 10, a couple months, 20 years, and you're like, for many of us, like, yeah, Jesus, we need some practical answers here. There's some other ways to do things. Following Jesus for the long haul can be hard, not just because we get bored, but because we suffer. We're like, Jesus, I'm following you. Why is this happening? Why is this relational struggle happening? Why did I lose my job? Why is there a pandemic? Why is everybody losing their mind? Come on, Jesus, I've been following you. That's why time and time again, New Testament, Paul calls us to endure. Look at in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. He says, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. It's endurance and hope always go together. Look at another one, Romans 3. This is all through the New Testament. In Romans 3, Paul says, We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, endurance. Perseverance, character, and character doesn't just lead to nice, happy, healthy people who don't snap at their kids, but it leads to hope. Leads to hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. How? Through his Spirit. Now, Thessalonians says, we see your endurance inspired by hope. And Paul writes in Romans that, that perseverance will lead to hope. So which is it? Does perseverance, does endurance lead to hope? Or does hope lead in perseverance? The answer is yes. It's our hope in Christ that becomes the catalyst to endure. And it's here where our interaction with Jesus, where it goes, where it goes from change my circumstances to Lord change me because in order to endure we got to run out of willpower and we must begin to have a prayerful reliance on Jesus 
And this is a product of hope. Our endurance, our reliance to Jesus is a product of the hope we have in Jesus. That we hope that his spirit is at work now, that he's going to make all things new, that he has been patient with us. This hope that we cling to gives us endurance here and now. And as we endure here and now, it produces a hope in us. Do you see how this works? Endurance is so core because, listen, as you follow Jesus, endure, you, we have to endure our entire lives. And this will look different for all of us, but if we're going to have faith in Jesus, hold on to Jesus until the end, we must endure. And my friends, I just want to tell you, we are not promised clear outcomes. We are not promised answers. We are not always promised resolution. I said this a couple months ago, but we watch a movie. It's a hard beginning. We see the character rise and we see it all resolve in the end. We see how it all plays out. We are not promised that. We're promised sufferings. We're promised the presence of Jesus. We're promised joy. We're promised peace. We're promised patience in the midst of all this. But we're not promised answers, resolution, clear answers and outcomes. One of my favorite passages in Hebrew 11, it's oftentimes called the Hall of Faith, where we see all these, all these heroes of the faith, Abraham and Moses and Rahab and Joseph, all these names and how their faith plays out. But look at, look at what Paul or what the author says. They say all these people, all these people that we see throughout uh, the scriptures, they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth, that this was not their home. This was not the final chapter. People who say such things, people that say this isn't our home, they show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they'd have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. That they didn't think that everything was going to play out here. That they were going to get full resolution, full full payment for their faith in this life. Look what he says in verse 39. It goes on to list more people and he says, They all were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Friends, what he's saying He's saying is all these all these saints of the faith for us now as we endure, we endure, but we don't endure because one day here on earth it's all gonna make sense. All my suffering's gonna make sense, all the pieces are gonna come together and it's gonna click. No, read church history. Look at your own life. We endure, we cling to Christ with the hope that he is going to make all things new, that he is going to, all of our promises are yes and amen in Christ, and one day it will all be fulfilled, not in some abstract, glowy, heavenly cloud, but when he makes all things new and heaven and earth are united in Jesus' rule and reigns forever. Everything that we long for and desire and hope that politics and technology and medicine are going to fix, Jesus will one day bring to fruition and our faith will be made sight. But for now, as we walk through pandemics and politics and families, We endure. That is what he is calling us to. And as we keep going down to the base level, what that builds in us as followers of Jesus is resilience, is a resilient faith. And my friends, that is what Jesus wants to produce in you. That's what Jesus is after, is a resilient faith. The end game is not just patience for the sake of being a nice, virtuous human being but it's to be resilient because it goes from how we respond to who we are. 
And Jesus longs for us to be resilient disciples who bear fruit. To bear fruit in our suffering, to bear fruit in our pain, to bear fruit in our wandering. For the sake of others, for the sake of the kingdom. That's why Jesus came. And as we look at the story of scriptures, we look at the disciples, as we look at the early church, that disciples of Jesus all throughout history have patiently given their lives for the sake of the kingdom for centuries. And here's the truth. You and I have benefited from it. The fruit of the disciples, the fruit of the church fathers and mothers, of their suffering, of their faithfulness, we have benefited from it. We have grown from it. We love and follow Jesus in a lot of senses because of those who have passed their faith down to us. Here's how this plays out. Is that as, as you go deeper into these layers, come back to Psalm 1, that we want to be trees. We want to be trees that are planted. And we want our roots to go deep, not just in patience for the, the I don't snap at my kids or or hit my steering wheel in traffic, but he wants us to go deep, that we might endure even when it's hard, even when we suffer, even when it doesn't make sense, that we might get to the ground level, the core, that we might be resilient disciples with the resilient faith that is not based on our circumstances, but is based on our identity and hope in Jesus. That's what he wants for us. That we that we might meditate and live by and walk and trust and live on reliant prayer and relationship with Jesus, that our roots would go deep. Maybe we wouldn't just be patient, nice people. Yes, the Spirit wants to produce that in our lives, but He wants to produce a resilience, a deep-seated patience that only comes when our roots go deep into Jesus, that the Spirit produces this in our lives. And so I just want to ask you a couple questions today. As we close, I don't, you, you can bow your heads, you can do whatever you want, but I just want to ask you a couple questions. Have you acknowledged and responded to God's patience in your own life? Because if we're honest, sometimes God's patience can feel cruel. If we're just honest, God's patience, his pace, our, our, what we have to be patient for, it can feel cruel. But as Jake said in his video, he said, I didn't, I didn't know the God, God's character yet. And my friends, we're not going to know God's character unless we, we let our roots grow deep into who he is and our, our time with him, our walking with him, our studying the scriptures, our walking with his community, our doing what he's called us to do, our prayerful reliance conversation with him. All these things aren't just here's four things to line up so you can get what you want. No, this is letting our roots go deep into who he is and that in doing so, we might see his patience towards us, his grace towards us, his love for us, while we were his enemies. This might be practical, but what are the areas of your life that you, you just practically need to slow down? We're so formed by our culture, by our pace, right? Amazon Prime, speed of the internet's getting faster and faster, you know, all these things we just want done, 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 and it, and it shapes us. And what are the areas of your life that you just need to slow down? You need to rest in the Lord. You just need to let daily patience become a habit because you're like, I can wait for that. I, I can get rid of that. Like just, just the things that train our hearts and minds to align with Jesus. What are the areas of your life you need to slow down? Are you signed up for a thousand different things? Are your kids signed up for a thousand different things and you're just always tired? You pull up your calendar and it just looks like a rainbow because there's a thousand different things you've got to get to. 
What's the pace that needs slowed down? Henry Nouwen says, patience means to, rec- to remain close to the moment and to fully taste where you are, the moment God has you in, so that the seeds that are sown in this moment might, might lead you and bear fruit in the future. That sometimes we aren't, we aren't, I know, I know this is so true for me. I ask my wife, I'm always hurrying around, hurrying around, and then later I look back, I'm like, remember that day? I miss that day. I want to sow seeds now for the sake of the future. Have you considered maybe what the underlying reasons for your impatience are? Many of us are impatient, but go a layer deeper. Why am I impatient? Is it my pride? Is it control? Is it comfort? Is it fear? Is it selfishness? If it... Is it distrust? Like, be honest with Jesus. Give those things to Jesus. Jesus, I'm impatient because I'm scared, because I'm uncomfortable, because I'm out of control. Give those things to Jesus. I love the last thing Jake said in that video. He said, we may not see the fruit that blooms, but we can know that we sowed the seed. Jesus, today, we just want to, we want to sow the seed that you have given us to sow in people's lives, that we want, to, we want the fruit of patience to be produced in our lives. And Jesus, it only comes from our relationship with you. And so I pray you would help us to endure, that you'd build within us a resilient faith that goes deeper than just being nice, but Jesus is, is a joy, is a peace, is a patience that can withhold circumstances and situations, a calm in the storm. Jesus, meet us where we're at. For some of us, we are in the midst of just a hard period of waiting. And Jesus, I pray that that we would just acknowledge your presence in that. That even if you aren't, even if the situation isn't playing out in the way that we want, we expect, that we would know that you are patiently sitting with us. That you are not indifferent. But your patience is a form of your kindness and that we might sit with you in the midst of our own waiting. We love you. Because of Jesus we pray. Amen.